Hello and welcome everyone to our series dedicated to the manufacturing industry. My name is Georgia Giuliani and I'm a current executive at Accruent, taking care of our customers in the south of Europe. Here with me today, we have uh, Jonathan Griffith, a true expert uh, on the subject. Today, we are talking about uh, operational excellence. Jonathan, hello. Can you please uh, introduce yourself? Hi, Georgia. Thank you. Uh, yeah, where to begin? Um, I've been in industry for the last 30 years. Um, started my career from the very early part of it as a manufacturing engineer, and most recently, uh, got to the senior operational leadership positions, uh, operational dire director, managing a small facility um, in the West Midlands. So during my career, um, I've been very fortunate to gain exposure to the varied world of manufacturing, um, not only in the UK, but globally as far as now, I've worked in China all the way over to as far as Argentina. So a truly global uh, exposure. What that's given me throughout my career, which I'm really thankful for, is the fantastic opportunity to work with some truly world-class organizations. And along the way, I believe I've been part of, and it is being part of, the successful growth of those co companies um, as they transitioned uh, to, you know, to meet their strategic needs. So what I've sort of, my next part of my journey now is I'm building upon that past life of uh, 30 years in manufacturing and, and contributing to growing companies where now I'm, operating my own uh, independent business where I provide coaching and consultancy to smaller companies of any form uh, that want the help on how do they achieve sustainable profitability and productivity improvements through the adoption of lean thinking, which, as you know, we're going to talk a little bit later on about operational excellence and change, but that's part of the process. And if I was to sum it up, what I really think I'm providing now, the next part of my journey is helping organizations to be that future-proof. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks, Jonathan. Sounds like a, a great experience indeed. And thanks uh, for being uh, with us today. Let's move on to, to our topics uh, for the day. So Jonathan, we have discussed a lot about uh, changing, changing the company culture and uh, most of the customers I'm dealing with uh, have, are having struggles uh, in uh, changing the company culture. Uh, why is that in your opinion? Uh, how they can recognize first uh, there's a need for a change and how, what do they do to make that happen? I think if we if we look at it from a how do they recognize a need for change there's there's sort of two there's two avenues i sort of take one there's the the need for a reactive change uh driven by you know if we look the last 18 months we've had global crisis uh pandemic 
Um, closer to home, we've got labour shortages, and, and even in Europe, there are shortages now. So those are all very reactive. And I think companies need to address those very quickly. Then when you look at it from a, the, the second there aspect of the need for change, there's the proactive side of need for change. And, and I see that through listening to customers, listening to the employees, listening to their suppliers. Uh, what, what are the needs of the, the customer? That drives a level of change. Uh, what's, what's happening in the supply chain? that drives change and it's that proactiveness that can is it can drive a need to change in an organization as well to to sit alongside that when you when we talk about the proactive element of change a lot of all companies have performance measures uh, of varying degrees and the real key to performance measurement is using that data that you collect and report weekly monthly whatever the the frequency is and use that to tell you as an organization we are looking at change going forward you know we are performing or we're underperforming therefore we need to make a change you know uh, we have a product range that's not delivering our on our expectations. That data tells us. So again, being a little bit more proactive rather than waiting for the final, just you know, the final part, which is the reactive side. Oh, now we've got to do something because we've just lost the customer. Well, six months ago, the data or your customer or your suppliers or your employees were probably telling you something's going to happen so th that's how i think companies can look at how they recognize the need for change so then that's why it's so important applying those changes sooner rather than later before it's too late absolutely absolutely there's i i run a a series of um lean thinking workshops and, and one of the workshops uh, I, I will be running centers around problem solving and what I often find and I've found in my career as well has been that the, the first element of problem solving is is always that ability to recognize that you have a problem and it's no different to change and if we don't recognize that we have a problem at the earliest opportunity, that problem will only get worse with time and we, it will move us from an ability of where we can logically and systematically fix the problem to a position where we are forced into a firefighting mode and panic mode to, at best, attack the problem. So the need for change has to be recognized at the very, very earliest opportunity and not let's not bury our heads in the sand about it. Let's face it and get everyone involved in 
the change. Yeah, that be now more than yeah before, and uh, the awareness is there, but still changing. It's so scary. A, a bit of, probably it's due to human being, but why is that in your opinion? I think change. Yeah, absolutely. I think change for humans is always scary. Um, what I see from, from my own experience sort of falls into two factors as to why change is scary. The first one is we don't fully understand why we change or why we need to change. So we're not answering the question why. And not being able to answer that question when you start to change the next level in the business, they're asking the same question. And if you don't, if you haven't got the answer to it, then or you won't be able to answer their why. So that's the, the first factor. And then the second one that I've come across is the bad experience of change. And people tend to carry that one as that's their scars. You know, they, they've had a bad experience and that drives a reluctance or a fear of change. Um, an example that I have of that, I was organization I was working for, I was a, a continuous improvement manager and I've just recently joined the business. And as part of the, my sort of getting to know people i would i was doing my rounds on the shop floor meeting all the operators you know getting to know them you know by first name so you start to build this relationship with them and i remember meeting one uh one guy who very talkative very knowledgeable on what he what he did in the business you know, knew every part of his machine. And he asked me a very simple question. He said, you're not going to do that Kaizen stuff. And that question sticks with me now, even sort of 20 years after meeting that guy. And my answer was, well, yes, <laughs> because, you know, I, I was employed as a continuous improvement manager and part of my role was to organize Kaizen events. And what struck me about the question was that he was more fearful of the fact that we were going to be doing Kaizen events than anything else in the organization. And what I later found out by talking to him a little bit more and getting to know him was that his experience of Kaizen was a bad experience in that he was, he had been on a number of Kaizen events, you know, typically what organizations do, they run these five day events, pull people together, work on one problem or one activity to improve it within the five days. And he was part of a number of those. And what he was expected to do at the end of those five days, every person in the Kaizen event had to stand up and deliver a part of that Kaizen. They had to talk about what they had done in that Kaizen. He felt totally uncomfortable. It was not his 
it was not where he, he, he was comfortable. He didn't like talking in big groups. He was a very, you know, private person. He had his close friends. That's it. But what the Kaizen events did, they actually forced it where regardless of whether you were a private person or a very open person, uh, you had to talk. And he basically had stage fright. So he was, you know, he, he was reluctant to get involved in the improvement of the business because we were forcing him to do something that was unnatural for him. And that was a real big eye-opener for me. And I think when we start looking at the fear of change, we have to consider that. We have to consider the, the, very much so the people aspect. We have to consider what's their past experience? What are they comfortable doing? And adapt. You know, the continuous improvement should continually improve. That's my view. It shouldn't be very much fixed on, well, we're only going to do it this way. It has to be adaptable to different situations, different times, different people. And when you make those changes within the way that you approach it, people will come along. Um, the, the, not everybody wants to set, follow the same route. So I think those are the, you know, when you, you look at it, those are the two real key factors for me that drive a fear of change. Absolutely. And it was a nice story, by the way. Thanks uh, for sharing. And you actually described one of the challenges that we have uh, dealing uh, with changing, like adoption, but uh, how companies can deal with other challenges like uh, cost involved, uh, uh, job losses there might be there with uh, changing something within the company. How do companies can deal with those aspects? I think there are, there are times when the unfortunate happens where job losses happen as a result of change or change drives job losses, um, whichever way you look at, look at that. My, my view on that tends to be that if you're at that position, it can be often because you've reacted too late um again i can't put a time scale on what's the definition of too late but it tends to be that or you've handled the the, the change inefficiently but what we should consider is that when we look at change and and there's an adoption of you know cost cost you know where do we where, where do we identify the cost and when we look at you know, the labor associated with it, the opportunities where instead of removing people from the organization because you know, there's, there's no, we deem that there's no need for them, let's look at how we can turn those jo potential job losses into, well, okay, how do we upskill them into another area of the business that we want to grow? How do we develop them? And what you often find is that people, given the opportunity to have more training or adapt into new areas, will 
will come along. Um, e example that I can share quite recently, I I'm, I'm have a client that I'm talking with at the moment and they unfortunately lost a major contract at sort of middle of this year. And as a result of that, they were considering closing part of their factory, which had, uh, I think, two operators that ran this one particular machine where they would have been made redundant. But instead of making them redundant, what they were seeing within their business was the other proportion of their business was going through high increasing demand. Uh, there was a need to eliminate the overtime because again, that's a cost. So instead of making two employees redundant, they moved those two employees to this next part of the factory, provide them with the training that they need to, to run these machines and you know, avoided the redundancy costs and at the same time brought down their overtime costs. So now that's just a simple example. And, and, and a lot of people are thinking, well, that, that's just, we do that naturally. Great. But how many companies don't? You know, that, and it's just that ability to think, well, there's growth there, there's a loss there, but can we turn the loss from that aspect from that area and make it support the growth area. Yeah, that's a nice story. Sorry, reframing uh, what you have just said, uh, change can also be a positive thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, I think we look at change initially with fear. Again, the human element kicks in. But when we truly understand the why and the how we're going to deliver it, it can be it can be very positive and it can be very exciting. You know, new products get introduced, train people up to deliver those new products. You know, new customers, they bring new ideas into the organization. That's another level of change that will drive the need for people to change their way of working because the customer expectations will change as well. So I think through change, it will there is a, a positive comment it will drive this need to have a more engaged workforce. And ultimately you, you can start to make the steps towards closing that skills gap. You know, let's look at the, the, the talent that you have inside your organization. What do you, what do you need to make it move to the next level? Yeah, and also for employees, it's it's an occasion to step up and uh, take some training and do something else. Absolutely, so yeah. yeah. There's also an opportunity for them. Yes. Absolutely. But uh, I want to really thank you so much for uh, what you have uh, shared today. I want to thank everybody for attending. And uh, I want to remind you that uh, for more information, you can uh, check uh, the episode description. You can find some useful links. And uh, see you next time. Have a good day. Thanks, Georgia. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.